0: Uh, if you have your Bibles, your electronic devices, you could turn with me uh we 're in this series we've been walking through this series in Ephesians, so you can turn with me to ephesians chapter two uh, chapter three. Uh, verses one through thirteen, and so you know uh, when we entered into this series, this is a large group of scripture for us to to take in, in one service. And so we're going to get through thirteen verses. So if you have your Bible, your electronic devices, you can either turn to or click to Ephesians chapter three, verse one, is where we're going to be this morning. As we look at this topic, relationships. What's your status? And today, the the topic of the sermon is is it's complicated. We're going to talk about grace. And so I think we would all agree that grace is one of those things that is multifaceted of the Christian life. Grace, at times, is complicated. What does grace look like? How do you live grace out? Uh, And so we're going to look at this issue of grace. And and where this service is headed is we are headed down to to communion. We are headed down uh, to the Lord's Supper that we'll take all together as a church family at the close of this service. Because really and truly, that's grace expressed. This issue of grace is an interesting thing, and it's an interesting topic when you start looking at God knows everything. I mean, I mean do you realize God knows everything? He knows, he knows your past. He knows everything that you've done. Uh, he knows your present. He knows where you are now, and he knows your future. And the scripture says this, and then he still loves us anyway. I mean, when you look at that, God knows what you're going to do tomorrow. He knows what you're going to do in 5 years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. And he still desires to have a relationship with you. And you know what? If I was God, I would not be like that. Right? I mean, if I was God and I knew what you were going to do in 5 years and 10 years, I'd just be mad at you all of the time. Right? I mean, isn't that true if we look at this from a human perspective and we realize that if we knew how someone was going to hurt us, betray us, we'd just stay mad at them all the time, but not God. God has this issue of grace, and God knows you and he knows me, and in spite of us, he still desires to have a deep relationship with us. This issue of grace is complicated, and, and Paul has four movements um, of grace that we're going to look at this morning, that God accepts us, and God accepts me, and God accepts you exactly where we are. But He loves us too much to allow us to stay there. He allow He loves us too much to, to then to let us hurt, but to find healing in our life. Can you imagine what it would be like to where you've been totally and completely set free, to where you know deeply that that your sins have been forgiven, that you are deeply loved in Him. Positionally, you're perfect and complete in Him. To where you've been forgiven to the level that you just live in freedom and you're comfortable in your skin. To where you no longer have to worry what people think about you, what people say about you, or any of those other things because you know at the root, you know that you've been totally and completely forgiven. Listen, a lot of times that's one of the major roadblocks in the Christian life. I'm working on a sermon series right now that we'll do in the future about this issue of of help me, how can I forgive myself? How can I get rid of regrets in life? I mean, how can I get rid of the shame and all that other stuff in life that sometimes is a roadblock in me growing closer to God or growing closer to others? But this morning, we're going to look at this issue, the four movements of grace, and, and, and this morning, we're going to... We're going to camp on some of these principles, and some of these principles we're just going to gloss over as we head to the, to the table, the Lord's Supper table uh, together. The first movement of grace is this, is grace is outward. It's kind of interesting to me that Paul starts out, and he starts walking through this progression of grace, and the first thing that he says is this. He says grace is outward. Uh, verse 1 and 2, watch this. Here's what the Scripture says. For this reason I, Paul a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles assuming that you have heard of the stewardship we're going to understand what that word stewardship means of God's grace that was given to me so important that's underlined in my bible by the way that was given to me for you and so in other words when you see that word stewardship a, a word that we may be more familiar with is is manager administrator in other words, what Scripture teaches us is when we're in Christ, that we're a manager we're a manager of the resources that he gives us. We're a manager of the talents that he gives us. We're a manager of the time that he gives us. We're a manager and we understand that all that we have is his and that we're a manager of that. One of the things we may not have ever thought about or looked at is this issue of grace. And so he says that, guess what? And you're a manager of the grace that has been given to you. See, this issue of grace, this issue of grace, grace is outward. Grace is something that's expressed, and that's why Paul says this. says, grace has given, been given to me for you, and grace has been given to you for me. Grace has been given to you for the relationships and the people around you. And where he says that this stewardship of God's grace, this administration of God's grace that was given to you for other people. See, the complicated side of grace is this. It's understanding this issue of grace and understanding this issue of grace to the extent that I want to express it to others and I I want to serve others and, and, and at the same time honor God. I don't know if you're like me, but I want to be known as a person of grace. I don't want to be the pastor to where my family and my children hear their dad stand on this platform and talk about grace. But he doesn't extend grace in the home. He doesn't extend grace to them. He doesn't extend grace to relationships around us. And the only time they really hear this issue of grace is when either we sing about it or we preach about it, but they never get to hear or they never get to see this outward expression of grace. And that's why Paul says this issue of grace, this issue of grace was given to you For others. I mean, grace, in other words, is like this undeniable fruit. I mean, if if grace is not coming out of me, then how do I know grace has ever come into my life? Because grace is like this undeniable fruit, and to have a fruit, there has to be a a root. I mean, it's this outward expression of grace that leads us to, to serve others and minister to others and give to others and serve in the local church and extend grace to others. And you may have had, and you may say, wait, I've had a spiritual change in my life, but what about the fruit of grace? In fact, as Jesus said in, in, like, John 15, Jesus says that the way that you glorify God, the way that you glorify the Father, is by bearing fruit in your life. That's the way you bring him honor. That's the way you bring him glory. And grace is this undeniable fruit, I mean... Grace is this. Grace is that the the God of this universe, the Creator of this world, wants to have a relationship with you, and He just doesn't want a part-time relationship with you. He wants your He wants your whole life, just not an hour on the weekend, whichever service you attend. Just not fifteen minutes or ten minutes in the morning, if you, you if you as you check a spiritual block and and uh, and uh, or spiritual box and. And, and read scripture but he, he, he wants your he wants your whole life. You heard Ashley on the worship team talk about uh, life journaling. Life journaling is something that we do here. Uh, life journaling is something all of our leaders do together uh, and, and many people in our church life journal. If you want to know more about life journaling you can go to our welcome area and there's some um, there's some people that will help you and help you get a life journal. And so life journaling is something that we systematically we read through scripture and allow God to speak to us through scripture. On Saturday uh, we're, we're reading in John chapter 4 and there's a story about the Samaritan woman and see the Samaritan woman if you don't know the story or maybe the woman at the well maybe you heard it that way see she had a very painful life and honestly when we look at our life and, and her life there's very little difference between where she had been and where you and I have been because none of us are perfect none of us have arrived and so Jesus takes and Jesus goes out of his way to meet this woman Jesus is a Jew, and she is a Samaritan, and Samaritans and Jews, they, they didn't talk. In fact, as the Jews didn't even, didn't even go to this, this village, but not Jesus. And so Jesus goes out of his way to, to meet this woman, and he's, he's at this well, and, and she shows up at the well, and, well, she shows up in the scorching sun. She shows up at midday, not because it was her break time, not because it was lunchtime, not because it was convenient, not because it was the best time to go, She went there because nobody else from the village would be there. She went there at midday. Nobody went to the well at midday. But she went there because she had isolated herself. She knew what everybody was saying about her reputation and and some of the things that, that she had done. She had had a lot of hurt and she had had a lot of pain in her life. And out of nowhere, Jesus being a Jew and her being a Samaritan, Jesus says, just ask her for a a drink and it's interesting to me in the Greek uh, when he asked her that really wasn't a question and it really wasn't a command it was like one friend talking to another friend I mean it's really interesting in the Greek it would would be like this for you that if you're if you're at a a really close friend's house and and they're almost like family to you and they're just this close relationship and you wouldn't wait for them to say hey you want something to drink you may would look at them say hey I'm thirsty What's up? I'm thirsty. I mean, It's like a friend talking to a friend and you say, well, wait a minute. Uh, That's the first time Jesus ever met her. No, it's not. Scripture says that he knew her. He knew you. He knew us when we're in our mother's womb. He knew us from creation. And see, the problem with this lady is, 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 is she had some things that she was trying to hide in her past. That's why she was there at noon. That's why she didn't want to see anybody else. That's why she was the only one there. In other words, there was, some, there was a skeleton in her closet that she was trying to hide. And she was living with like five sins. And, and Jesus tells her in the course of the communication, in the course of the conversation, Jesus tells her, why, why don't you just go and get your husband? And she looked at Jesus and kind of told a half-truth because she was, she was embarrassed. She was carrying shame. And she said, well, I don't have a husband. And Jesus looks at her with love and grace, not to, get, not to condemn her, it says so you're correct when you say that you you don't have a husband. But what is true is you have had 5 husbands and the man you're living with now is not your husband. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what's going through her mind? Can you imagine her biggest fear of being exposed? Her biggest fear of being realized that she was just she was just outed. She was seen for who she really was. She, were, I mean, her her soul was like laid bare. She couldn't even bring herself just to come out and say, "I've had five husbands," because she was carrying shame and she was carrying gi- guilt. But Jesus presented it in such a way that, of love and acceptance, that she was able to come clean. the way, The way He handled it was such gentleness and. stop right there let me just tell you this healing in your life healing in my life Jesus never brings up anything in your life to leave you there to die Jesus doesn't expose what you and I are trying so hard to hide to just judge you or just to leave you there to To die. Jesus exposes a hurt to bring healing. Jesus brings it up, exposes it. So you can not only get saved, but you can get healed from it. When you look at the rhythms of Jesus' life in the Gospels, you realize But there were times that Jesus waited till there was enough positive things going on in an individual life before he touched the negative. Because he doesn't want to bring up anything that will destroy you. It's for your healing. It's for your good. See, the fact is she had had five marriages. She had had five broken marriages and she was embarrassed by that. And as a result of that, people gossiped about her and talked about her. As a result of that, she lived in isolation. I and mean, can you imagine? Five times she went to the altar. Five times she said, This one is the one. This one will work. I'll make this one work. Five times she said, I do. I do. I do. I do. I do. I do. All to end with, I don't. And now she's, listen, now she's living with a man because she doesn't want any real commitments. Now she's living with a man because she doesn't want any commitments and she doesn't want to ever be hurt like that again. There's not real love there. Just someone close enough to me to ease the pain of loneliness. And the pain of loneliness is so great. And the pain of shame is so great that I'll, I'll just get some relationships around me. And even though, they're, even though they're not healthy, it just eases the pain of loneliness. But see... Jesus didn't, just didn't want to ease the pain of loneliness. He wanted to bring healing in her life. And you may say, well, wait a minute, at least I'm better than her. I mean, I, I, haven't, I haven't done all that she's done. But by God's count, we're all like her. By God's count, every one of us has committed at least five sins. And Jesus related to the woman at the well as a friend. And he, he carefully brought her out of isolation. Listen, let me tell you something. False belief is this, is that healing is found in isolation. Healing is found in building walls around you. There's a lot of people, they get hurt. And so, okay, I'll never be hurt uh, uh, like that again, so I'll live in isolation. But the Bible talks something totally opposite. The Bible says this, healing is found in community. That's why life groups are so important. That's why the community of the church is so important. And so Jesus just listened to her, and then he offers her a a way out. You know what happened to her? She wanted to share it with others, and she, like, leaves her water jar there, and she runs back to town, a town that she lived in isolation, a town where she went to the well when nobody else was there, a town that she ditched everybody because, unfortunately for her, her sin was public, and she was worried who she was going to run into at the mall or who she was going to run into at the market. And so she'd just live in isolation, no longer living in isolation ever again. fact, is, the Scripture says that she went back to town totally different. The first movement of grace is outward. The second movement of grace is inward. Now listen, let me tell you something. When I read this and when I was walking through this and I said, this doesn't make sense sense to me. Why would Paul first say that grace is outward, then it's inward? If I was writing the scriptures, I'd do it the opposite. We get that, right? I mean, we get a normal progression to where first it's inward, then it's outward. And I'm saying he started with outward. You know the reason I think that is? He wanted to show us what outward grace could look like so we would desire it. So we would come up and say, well, how do I get a life like that? How do I get of a life that is grace-giving? And so, so verse 3, how, how the mystery was made known to me by the revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which is not made known to the sons of men and other generations as has been revealed to the... To his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So let's let's get some definitions down. And, and so he said in, in, in verse three, he used the words this is made known to me by revelation. So what is revelation? Revelation is when God opens your eyes up to spiritual truth. I mean, you ever been you ever been reading scripture, you ever been life journaling? And all of a sudden, that scripture just pops off the page. All of a sudden, that scripture, and, and you know, it's so strange. We can—I've read John chapter four hundreds of times, thousands. I've preached on it, I've studied it, um, and on Saturday, there's something new that just popped off the page. It's that revelation that God takes and and speaks a spir- spiritual truth into your situation, into into your life at that moment. And that's why it's called the Living Word of God. And so it was this revelation that, 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 that Paul had that opened his eyes. Listen, let me tell you something. Grace is outward, but grace is also inward. Fact is, what Paul would tell us is this grace is developed inward. I mean, we all know Christians that we would say, you know what? They have like developed no grace in their life. Grace is not something that happens automatic. Grace is something that is developed in your life, it's something developed in my life. And so here's what Paul would say. Here's how it's developed, verse 4. When you, when you read this, what is this? The Bible. When you read the Holy Scriptures, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. See, before, back to the Samaritan woman. Before the Samaritan woman could express grace outward, she had to have grace inward. When the Samaritan woman knew that the Messiah Jesus, had forgiven her completely of all of her sins, she could express grace. and it was outward. See, she knew she had been forgiven you. You know, the Christian that has the most trouble expressing grace are those that feel like they really haven't been forgiven of their past. And because they feel like they haven't been forgiven of their past, it brings them anger that someone else would be forgiven of their past. What would happen if we developed this inward grace? What would happen in your family If you ask questions like, what does my wife need? What does my husband need? What does my kids need? What do, what do my friends need? Who do, who do I work with? And I just need to cut them some slack. Well, we live in a generation with bloggers and the internet and Facebook and Twitter and all those other things. And we can destroy people over the words that we say. How about that person that you work with that has pain in their life because hurting people hurt people that we just need to extend grace to? What would happen if, we, if, the, if the first voice we wanted to hear in the morning was His voice? And we cared more what God has to say to us out of his word than what was in the newspaper, on MSN, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. There are some people that know more about the life of the Kardashians than the life of Jesus Christ. Grace is developed Inward, see, you and I will never grow in grace, we will never develop that grace because until we spend time in His Word, telling you, when when grace starts going out of my life, is when my life journaling moments become sterile and become dry. See, so many Christians. Just kind of sit around the Lord's table and nibble instead of eating of the whole meal. Paul was this person that when you were around Paul, see, Paul wasn't, before Christ, he wasn't a grace-filled person at all. And now when people are around him, they could sense the grace of God in their life. I mean, grace that, that God wants to spend the rest of his life with you regardless of what you've done. Regardless of what you're going to do. See, grace is the entryway to salvation, right? By grace, you've been saved. Not of works that no man can boast. But the complicated side of grace is this. Grace enters our life... But then to develop grace inwardly, it takes work, it takes discipline, it takes, it takes reading of scripture, it takes prayer, it takes, it takes solitude, it can take fasting, it can take serving, it can take all of those other things. And, and that's the complicated side of grace. See, in every, every other area of life, people are good talking about commitment. But you bring that commitment into the spiritual life, you bring that commitment into the Christian life, and people begin to push back and say, wait a minute, now you're being a legalist. Now you're being difficult. You mean there's a commitment? You mean he wants me to read scripture? You mean he wants me to memorize scripture? You mean there's some rhythms of the spiritual life? And so the scriptures say, absolutely, because that's how grace is, that's how grace is developed. Listen, the older I get, the more grace I want to extend to others in my life. I don't want to be that old cranky guy. That nobody wants to be around. But I want to have a grace filled life. So listen grace is outward, grace is inward. And the third thing is this grace is productive. In other words, there's something that grace produces. I mean, grace is an undeniable fruit. But watch this verse 6 The mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace which was given me by the working of his, of his power. Watch this. To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints. In other words, Paul would say, my past, messy. My past, I mean, Paul would say, I didn't just have a skeleton in my closet. I had the whole graveyard in my closet. I mean, when I unpacked my closet, there was a lot there. This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And so, what Paul would say, guess what? This issue of grace, it's productive, it produces something. I mean, in the church there in Ephesus that we're looking at, there were Jews and Gentiles, and Jews and Gentiles did not get along. Jews and Gentiles did not like each other, they didn't really respect each other. It was a racial issue. But when Jews and Gentiles met Christ and grace was developed inwardly, now they're standing side by side, worshiping together. It would, but it'd be like this for you. Imagine your worst enemy, and you worshiping with that person. Some say, "Well, okay, I'm good with that as long as I'm in this room and they're in the theater." (laughs) Or if they're in the theater, I'm in this room. I, I'm okay as long as we can both be in this room as long as one's on the left and one's on the right, and we shall never meet and we'll avoid each other. No, it's not what this is talking about. Imagine your worst enemy, and guess what? In worship, you're standing right beside them, and you're lifting up holy hands in prayer and praise, without any dissension, without any division, because of grace and because of forgiveness. See, Samaritan woman. When she realized how much God had forgiven her of, it was easy for her to extend grace to others. So what Paul said, Paul says, guess what, I'm the chief among all sinners. And I've told you, that didn't mean that he took some survey, he took some tally and realized he was. What that meant was, is I cannot believe God has forgiven me of my sin. If he's forgiven me of my sin, nobody else's sins matter, what he's done in my life. And so when you look at this issue of grace, you realize this issue of grace is productive, that brings people together, that brings relationships together. The fourth and the last thing about this issue of grace, grace is outward and grace is inward. And grace is productive. But the last thing is is grace is visible. In other words, there's this visible expression of grace. Grace is something that you and I just don't have to talk about. It's something that you and I don't have to just sing about. In other words, we can see this visible form of grace. Verse 9 through 13, the scripture says, "...and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan, plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God may now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places." This was according to the eternal purposes that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is, which is your gl- glory. Grace, if we understand grace, if grace is developed inward, it's visible. If we understand grace to this extent... It's my prayer for this, my prayer for this church that we would be a grace filled church, which we are, and I'm so proud of you. I mean you just you just look around the room and no, none of us we don't all look the same. And we come from different backgrounds, come from different families, come from different economic groups and we just worship together. See, if I understand grace and you understand grace, that it's visible to serve others and to to honor God. And Scripture tells us that in Him, and through faith in Him, that we may approach God with freedom and confidence. How do you and I approach God with freedom and confidence? Knowing that we're totally and completely forgiven. Knowing that he loves us and he cares for us. Listen, the truth is, you can, you can be as close to God as you want to be. Because the scripture says, if you draw near to him, he'll draw near to you. So let me just ask you, I know, I know grace is complicated. And I know it's multifaceted. But what does it look like in your life? Is there an outward expression of grace in your life? Is it inward in your life to where it's, it's developing in your life? Is it productive? Is it producing some things in your life and then is it visible? Because the visible expression of grace that we have that we celebrate together as a church is communion or the Lord's Supper or the Lord's Table whatever your tradition has been, whatever you've called it. It all really means the same thing. And our ushers are going to prepare the elements now and as we get ready to, to observe the the Lord's Supper together as a, as a church family and I, and I just want to say these comments before they begin to handing out the bread and the juice this, this may be your first weekend with us and you may be wondering do I, do I get to take of the bread and the juice or do I have to be a member do I, can I not what happens here let me, let me just help you so you understand what happens uh, you don't have to be a member of Fellowship of the Rockies to take of the bread and take of the juice you do have to meet the biblical requirements and that is this that you've come to a place to where you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ and and you're a believer. If that is you, then we invite you in just a few moments when the ushers begin passing out the bread and the juice. There'll be two cups on on top of the other. You'll pull both cups out. You'll hold them in place. And then we'll take together as a church family. See, communion, the Lord's Supper, is the biblical expression or the visible expression of grace that Jesus Christ went to the cross while we were still sinners, knowing what we would do in the future. And he who knew no sin became sin for us and offered us grace and salvation and forgiveness. The early church history is that the early church would take of a common cup, one cup, and eat from a common loaf of bread. I've only taken communion once with a common cup, and I don't mind taking communion with a common cup as long as I get to drink first. And we were in Bialystok, Poland, and we were doing missions, and that was their tradition. See, the reason that the early church took of a common cup and ate from a common loaf of bread was this issue of unity. It was this issue of a visible expression of grace. That in Christ, we are one. In Christ, we are one body. In Christ, we have unity. And so they would drink of a common cup and they would, they would take the common loaf of bread and they would tear it, which was symbolic of the body of Christ, that he tore his flesh for us so that we may have forgiveness and salvation and grace The cross was a visible expression of grace. And the reason that we take of this time is to remember what he did for us on the cross. Corinthians tells us that before we take of the bread and before we take of the juice, that we're supposed to examine our lives and where we are with him. As the elements are being passed out, you'll just hold them there in place. But would you examine your life? Would you sit before him this morning and ask him, do you have anything to say to me? Anything that I need to change, anything that I need to correct, maybe you just need to reflect on His grace, what He's offered to you, before we take of the bread and we take of the juice. Before we take the bread together as a church family this piece of bread is symbolic of the, the body of Christ it was beaten and torn it was pierced on our behalf talk about grace he who knew no sin became sin for us went to the cross willingly nobody took his life from him in fact as the scripture says that he laid it down on his own accord only to be resurrected three days later so as we take of this bread we remember what he has offered to us father we thank you for for your visible expression of grace not only what we see in scripture but what you did for us on the cross and so Father we thank you for that we thank you for your love we thank you for your grace and may grace be developed in us so we live life differently may we be willing to extend grace and love to others as you have to us